Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Slow cooked, succulent meats delivered fast to your door. Search for us via Uber Eats and Delivery. Hey, happy Friday, or whatever day it is you're listening to this podcast, or in fact, whatever day it actually is for that matter, because none of us know anymore. We've kind of lost track. This is Football Social Daily, your not daily at the moment Premier League podcast, but we're keeping you updated with all the latest news from the English top flight. Assuming it's Friday, and for this period of weirdness, every single Friday is going to be our AQA show. That is all questions answered. Any topic, any question, what we talk about is completely up to you. You can get your questions in via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, however you want to contact us, just search Sports Social and any of those platforms and you'll find our accounts there. I've got Niall McCorn on the podcast today. Hello, Niall. Hello. And alongside him, uh, virtually rather than physically, Marley Anderson. Are you right, Marley? Yeah, mate, I'm good, yeah. I'm glad it's virtually because I heard he hasn't had a shower for three weeks. <laughs> Who has? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Actually, today... Um, today is the day that I was meant to be going on my on my stag do to Krakow, so um, oh. it's all been cancelled because of this this stuff. So instead, I've got this obviously what is the second best thing of sitting talking to you two muppets over uh, <laughs> over the internet. Does that mean we have to get the Polish beers in just to make it an authentic experience for you? Yeah, and if one of us could be dressed as a baby as well. You know. <laughs> Again, who isn't? <laughs> We're going to kick off with a review first off before we do anything else. This has come from Swain Sean uh, via Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you for your reviews, by the way. Keep them coming in. If you send us a review or if you do a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. This review is just titled hatred is it from a burnley fan by any chance (laughs) it's not actually Uh, it continues it says excellent podcast but i'm slightly worried by niles burning hatred towards liverpool this season i've listened to every podcast and his views are somewhat mad (laughs) so (laughs) let's start with a question from me niall why do you hate everything? It's just natural to me. It just it just radiates out of my body. I sweat hatred. Do you have a dislike for Liverpool? Uh, no, not at all. I just I just think that I th- I think I've been quite fair with Liverpool this season. They've got a tendency to kind of get ahead of themselves over in uh, Merseyside, and I don't think they have mm. this season. And um, to be fair, Steve McNaughton has not um has not pulled me up on being unfair towards Liverpool. And if you know Steve like we do, you know that if you say anything bad against Liverpool, he will threaten to yeah. break your legs in a special <laughs> jiu-jitsu uh, arm bar or something like that. I don't know what he'll do, <laughs> but he'll certainly try and hurt you. I think you've been fairly level with your criticism of Liverpool so far. So apologies to um, Swain Sean if he has been offended, but we don't hate Liverpool. Burnley, on the other hand, Marley absolutely despises. Yeah, it's, but that's it's a completely funny, it's different funny story. Wine, uh, let's crack on with your questions. We're going to start with Ozuk on Twitter, who's asked today's first question. He says, speaking of Liverpool, if Liverpool don't win the title this season, what impact would that have on the club going forward? What do you reckon, Niall? Um, well, I was going to be quite nice about this, but now I'm going to go absolutely in on Liverpool <laughs> because of this uh, because of this comment from earlier. Um, to be honest, I think there's a possibility players could leave. They could, but that all depends on the transfer window situation. And FIFA have said it will be extended. Nobody's 100% sure as to what the actual market will look like when the time does come around. But if they had won the league this season, and obviously we're still waiting to see whether they can complete the current campaign, it would have been a huge monkey off the back for the club. I mean, Mm. regardless of whether you like the fan base or not, which is personally... 
what I believe is the reason why some people aren't so fond of Liverpool. There's no denying they're a huge historic football club. They're amongst the biggest in the country and outright they are the most successful British club in Europe ever. Six Champions Leagues. No one can argue with that record. So for them to have won two Champions League titles in the time it's taken them to win a single league just goes to show how starved of domestic success they've been. And for for this current Liverpool side to be truly considered great, they have to win the league and they haven't done it. Okay, they have practically won it, but they haven't officially done it yet. As far as I'm concerned, you can forget all the records about most wins, most consecutive home wins and all of that stuff. In time, trophies are what tell the tales. They're, you know, they're extremely unfortunate to have this crop up in a season where they were no doubt, in my mind, going to break that 30-year barren spell. And until we finish the season and they win those final few points, that monkey on the back is still going to be there. And the supporters will have to hang on a little longer. I mean, I've, I've nearly then said suffer a little bit longer, but I don't think that would be appropriate in terms of a description at this moment in time. And Liverpool fans haven't suffered in my eyes. They've just been made to wait. And that wait, although it's frustrating for them, will have to go on a little bit longer. And that, and could... that, that monkey on the back will stay firmly in place if they don't end up, end up winning the title. If they're handed the title, even though they are remarkably close, it would still be a hollow victory. It just won't be the same for mm. them. There'll always be that caveat. Opposing fans, Manchester United fans most likely, will always go, yeah, well, you didn't actually win it though, did you? I guess we could look at this question in the shadow of last season when Liverpool came so close to winning the title and had that lead and they were caught by Manchester City. We all know the story of what happened and a lot of people expected, myself included, to Liverpool to fall away the following season. The pressures of the first season and the efforts that were involved would have an impact on this season and that didn't happen at all. So I guess you could expect... The Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp. I mean, if there's one man who can motivate a team to go again, it's going to be Jurgen Klopp, Marley. Yeah, um, I, I'm just thinking back to, to last season when when Liverpool came so close to, to winning it and ended up with, with 98 points or whatever it was. Um, and we we said at the at the end of the season, like, can they can they go again? Because psychologically, to win so many games and still not win the league is is so so hard to go again. Um, and to pick up where you left off, kind of thing, and, and carry that level of performance on. And a lot of us, including including myself, didn't think they'd be able to do it again, just because the, they set the bar so high for themselves. Um, and to to our surprise, or, or maybe not, depending on how you think of it, um, they've been just as good this season as as they were last season, if not better, in terms of uh, grinding out wins and and uh, you know going. What was it like? 23 games unbeaten or whatever it was until Watford beat them and then they've been they've been at that level again so looking forward to to next season if they don't win it can they can they be can they carry on this level it's it's hard to say they can't because you've got no basis on the, on to say that they can't do it again because they have because they've been motivated by probably the the best motivational manager in the world in terms of you know, getting getting the maximum out of his squad. There's only him and maybe Diego Simeone, um, possibly even Conte that are, that are right up there in terms of uh, getting everything out of every player. Um, so you'd 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 have to say that if they don't win it this year, if it's if it's null and void by the by the Premier League, then they would go again next year and and be the the same animal they have been this year because they 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 have been this year what they were last year, if not better. I think there's. No question that there will have to be an element of reinvention. Whatever happens, whether they win the title or not, for next season, 
there was an element towards the end of, well, the end of the season, the end of what is currently the season, that they were beginning to be found out that teams weren't letting the fullbacks push on and letting them play into that space. They were kind of pinning the fullbacks back. So I guess whatever happens, and we're also not going to see another season where the teams around Liverpool are so poor. It's been a little bit like the season where Leicester City won the title this year, where the other teams just haven't really competed. They've all taken points off each other. So whatever happens, Liverpool do need to move forward in the summer and do need to address how they play and address the personnel if they're going to compete again, don't they? Yeah, they do. Um, you, you know, you mentioned you mentioned City and, and the likes not being as good as they were last season and, and that's definitely a reason of, of why this season's gone how it has with Liverpool storming 25 points clear and, and what have you. But um, Liverpool will invest as well. Um, I don't think... Let's say this season gets done, and and however it comes out, I think next season obviously everyone will be will be better. As in, Man City will strengthen and be better next season than they are this season. They'll they'll have more options at centre back. They'll have more depth where they need it. Um, so you're not going to be you're not going to be twenty five points clear maybe next year, but they won't be they won't sort of fall off a cliff and and go backwards. Um, but as Oscar says, I mean the the impact. It would have. I don't. I honestly don't think it'd be that much impact. If if I'm honest, I just think it's up to other teams to catch them rather than them. You know, they've held this level of performance for for two seasons now, so it's up to the other guys to to get better and to to challenge them rather than wait for them to to get slightly worse. Do you not think the exasperation though of not winning it again? You know, like being so close two seasons in a row. Do you not think that would just knock the wind out of their sails? I mean, surely you'd feel it in Anfield as a player. I mean, the fans have waited so long and then obviously they lost out by one point last season. If they don't win it this season due to unforeseen circumstances and the season gets written off, I don't think it will, by the way, but let's just say that does happen for the sake of this question. Do you not think that would just completely like drain them and and just bring them to their knees? I mean, the fans must be like, oh, for God's sake, what is it going to take for us to win the title? Surely they must start running out of belief at that point, thinking, oh, this is never going to happen. For me, the situation is just so unique that I don't think it would have the same impact that, say, if they were somehow caught up for that 25-point lead. I don't think it would have the same impact as that. It could even have the opposite effect. It could galvanise people around the team again, and the they might there might be this new ethos, well, we were robbed of it last year, so this year is the season we go again. So it could have the opposite effect, but it's unprecedented times, isn't it? So it's kind of a who-knows question I guess yeah retaining the Premier League's difficult isn't it we only a few teams have done it Chelsea United City I mean it's just it's a hard thing to do but to get that close and not win it once I mean Liverpool really they this should be their second title in a row and instead they've won zero you know and this might this might be where the the hatred of Liverpool that apparently I've got comes from because I'm just speaking in pure facts here. It is so unlucky and unfortunate and they do deserve to have at least one league title in their trophy cabinet from the last two years. But the fact of the matter is they don't and it's just such bad luck. But surely to to do it a third season in a row, I mean, then you would seriously have to say that that would take some doing. And I know they've not lost any players. Like Marley says, they've done it twice before. Then why, why would they not be able to do it again? But I just think that surely when these sorts of things happen, I mean, the Steven Gerrard slip and then letting it go against Crystal Palace in that 3-3 a few seasons ago under Brendan Rodgers. Then a few players leave, Suarez leaves, Sterling goes to Manchester City and then it's a few years again before they get back on the sort of title charge. 
And then they lose out by a point to City. And now they have coronavirus taking away their league title. I mean, you must be... I mean, for me, I'd be sat there thinking, we're never going to do it. We're just never going to do it. I mean, it just feels like everything's against you when that sort of thing happens. Yeah, I mean, it, it might it might be... It might feel like that, but... I mean, let, let's guess... Let's sort of assume what happens in, in the next sort of few weeks. I mean, if if the season was was null and void, I don't really think that can have much of an effect on the players because if they null and voided, there'd be there'd be so much outrage of from fans and whatever. But everybody knows that Liverpool were gonna win the league and in their heads they're still clearly the best team in England because they were so far clear at this point. You can't really argue that if it gets null and void. The only way I could see this taking anything out of Liverpool sales from a player's mentality is if the season restarted and they lost every game and, and blew it themselves. So I can't really I can't see I get it what you're being... saying, but I just think that it doesn't matter. I mean, we can think about this in the next two to three years, but after five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years they, there's no they don't have what do footballers play for medals and trophies these players won't have that they won't they won't they won't have that that you know trophy in the cabinet they won't have that premier league winners medal because they never won it money they got close twice but history only ever tells you what teams have won they never tell you who comes second and why they came second and what the reasons were they just say you know if you search 2020 premier league winners it would just say no winners because the season was voided but liverpool were first at the time that's that's all it's going to tell you so for me, I just think that's that's the kind of monkey on the back that I was talking about. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think if there is one manager who can get a team over that is Jurgen Klopp for exactly the reasons that Marley says. I mean, in reality, this probably isn't going to be a situation we're looking at because the current proposals from the Premier League are that the season gets finished. If that doesn't happen, there's a clamour from some Premier League clubs at the moment to avoid the season. I believe around nine clubs from the Premier League want that to happen and I think you need 16 for actually anything to be ratified but then even in that eventuality there would be some system or some formula devised that would work out who wins the Premier League who gets relegated who gets the European places and whatnot so the the chances of avoided season right now and Liverpool not winning the league are pretty remote Uh, let's have our second question Marley you've got that one uh, yeah, I do, um, and it came in uh, again on Twitter from Kieran, um, and he says, "Would it be possible for the Premier League to um, implement a salary cap like American sports do to make sure teams like Liverpool and Man City don't uh, win the league every year due to high spending and, and high salaries and what have you?" Uh, I, I quite like this idea as someone who feels quite strongly about protecting our clubs from financial doom is is of the utmost importance but from a business point of view from the Premier League's perspective it makes absolutely no sense unfortunately I mean the authorities they can barely get to grips with FFP let alone regulating a a league-wide salary cap I think it would be a shambles if this happened I don't think it's a bad idea but I also feel that I think we're past the point of introducing one if you know what I mean Mm. I think it works well in American sports because of the time when it was implemented I think I looked into this a little bit. I think it was 1994 the first NFL salary cap was introduced in American football. So that's that's 25 years ago now. And just look how much live sport has exploded over that period. I mean, even the last 10 years and five years, it's gone through the roof. And just looking now, the, the first NFL salary cap in 94 was about $35 million. 
and for 2020 it's 198 million dollars and i know it i know it moves wow. in line with the times but from the pre- but for the premier league from their perspective they would argue that it actually limits the chance of getting the world's best players to play in our league and perhaps in turn that slightly curbs the revenue because everyone would rather watch well i would anyway i'd rather watch mo salah than mo diame i don't know about you boys uh, <laughs> but obviously we know how important revenue is to the premier league and i think it it actually wouldn't get rid of the problem of the best teams signing the best players i still think regardless of salary cap players would rather play for manchester united chelsea liverpool than they would for someone who might also have a decent bit of cash behind them like wolves or everton for example i think that's a fair judgment to make and it's probably also worth bearing in mind that there's no promotional relegation in american sports if you do terribly in nfl it's just better luck next year isn't it which is why they have that draft system whereas in football we've got that added concept of moving fluidly between the divisions depending on how well you do and on top of that there's only one real juggernaut in terms of american sports obviously in terms of leagues the nfl is the pinnacle of american football nbl of baseball nba of basketball i mean the other world leagues in those sports don't come close to those ones i've just mentioned but in football obviously we've got the premier league we've got la liga serie a bundesliga so many top top leagues so it makes a salary cap harder i think and what we've seen happen when the Premier League tried to go rogue with the transfer window and move the dates, all the other leagues went, well, you're on your own there, lads. So I think if you introduced a Premier League salary cap, then you'd have to try and convince the rest of the European leagues to do the same. And I think that would put our English game at a disadvantage because to encourage the rest of Europe to align with us isn't really that easy as we've seen you know, in the not too distant past. I think you're right. And I like it as a concept. I like the idea of a salary cap that kind of acts as a leveller and the idea that a club might decide to, I was going to say something I probably shouldn't say, spend all their money on one player rather than kind of spread it throughout a team. I kind of quite like it as a concept, but for exactly the reasons you say, it's never going to happen. American sports are unique in that the leagues they have in American sport, in the football league and the hockey league and the basketball league, they're the only country that play these sports. They're the only country that are the behemoths of they have the pinnacle in their country so it makes it slightly easier to then dictate the rules and go right wearing a salary cap because players can't go elsewhere they can't command the same fees elsewhere so it would need to be a fifa initiative or a uefa initiative for a start but i just can't see it really happening i don't know what the benefits to fifa or uefa would be we've already seen with ffp which some would argue was kind of a roundabout way of adding a salary cap of sorts that limited clubs from overspending. We, A lot of people believe the real reason for FFP to be introduced was to protect the elite of the sport, to protect Real Madrid, to protect Barcelona, to protect Manchester United. So a salary cap would do exactly the opposite of that. It would be a leveller, and there doesn't seem to be any appetite from the Premier League or from the governing bodies above them to, to create a level playing field. So they could, yes, it could work it would need a lot of working pieces to kind of fall in place but it won't happen not in a million years yeah i'd I'd agree with that as well i don't think uh it's ever realistically got a chance to be honest because there's that much there's that much money in football and everything now you'd you'd be you'd be enforcing things that would just make players go elsewhere um the only the only possible way i could ever see it happening is um if anyone listening is is um a fan or knows more than me certainly of uh, about American football. I could only see it working in in a way where um, a rival league is set up. 
which which automatically has a salary cap. So, for example, in American football, there's um, Vince McMahon's uh, company's XFL, which is like a, a, a an alternate league to the NFL in um, in American football, and he he sets the rules and whatever. It's basically it's the same game. It's just different players. Um, but the only way it could it could kind of happen in England is if is if an, a a football league by itself was set up with a salary cap, but then you'd you'd never attract players from like a Liverpool to this new club that's got a salary cap because they'd probably been paying them less. So, and then on top of that, you've got all the European leagues saying, "Well, come to us because we haven't got a salary cap. We'll pay you what you want." So, the whole you have to you have to enforce a salary cap or something similar from the foundation from the the moment it's born because if you don't then it's hard to it's hard to go one way in terms of salaries well you say that but rugby union have successfully implemented a salary cap and i know that is only what 20 years into being a professional sport but i don't believe the salary cap was there on day 1 and obviously we've seen issues with that recently with saracens deciding that the salary cap doesn't apply to them in any way so it it's not a perfect system, but I mean, I don't know enough about rugby union and the salary cap system there to know how it works or whether it's been effective, but it has been introduced at a later stage, I believe. But I think they're in a very different situation to professional football, I guess. I think we're, like I said before, I think we're too far down the line. I think like Marley said, the money's too much. The broadcasting deal has gone through the roof. Uh, and like I say, doing some research into that first NFL salary cap. I mean, it was it was 25 years ago they introduced this salary cap. I mean, you, you couldn't just do it now. You mean you would have struggled to do this 10 years ago in the Premier League. So I think that ship has sailed in terms of putting a salary cap on, on Premier League players. And I think that that initial 34 million, I think it was, in um, 94, that was actually increased by a couple of million because Fox paid more money for the, uh, for the broadcasting rights. And with the broadcasting rights on offer in the Premier League now, I just... I just don't see a world where a salary cap could be possible. I mean, you want the best players on show. The Premier League want the best players in the league to ensure that they get more viewers. They make more money from broadcast rights. It's, you know, it, it's a situation in which I can't see the Premier League ever deciding that this would be a good idea. Should we move on to the next question? I think you've who's got the next. Uh, I think you've got the next one now. Yeah, this one's come in uh, via Instagram from Ollie. So thanks for your question, Ollie. And he wants to know. What's everyone's opinion on who's had the best individual season ever in the Premier League? And he also wants to know our top four predictions for next year. But let's start with the the best individual season anyone's ever had in the Premier League. So, Jim, what do you reckon? Who's kind of coming up trumps on that one for you? Well, should we let Marley go first, just so he can say Alan Shearer's 94-95 season with Blackburn Rovers? <laughs> and, and then no, I can do mine. Um I would say that, but that was uh, that was when he had a season for for Blackburn, so I'm not really interested. <laughs> um, I'm str- I'm struggling to think of this one, to be honest. Um, in right, recent I'll, I'll memory, do mine, and you can have a bit of thinking time. Go on, I, then. You, no, yeah, you go first, yeah. Because I was going to go Yaya Torre in 2013, 2014, but because he was unstoppable that season he was just this marauding goal scoring midfielder he was a tower in the centre but I didn't want to give it to him purely because he was in one of the best teams in the league at that stage as well so I'm going to go for N'Golo Kante in Leicester City's title winning season because I don't think it's a position that gets much praise in general that kind of defensive midfield we've seen with Jordan Henderson this season it tends to be a bit of an unsung hero but a player who is so important to the team's success as well 
And that Leicester City team wasn't a team full of superstars. They never should have won the league. And they probably wouldn't have won the league if it hadn't been for N'Golo Kante playing in there as well. And I looked up some stats for his season in a year that it seemed like he was everywhere across the midfield every time anyway. But he made 175 tackles over a season, which works out about four or five a game. And that is a record in terms of tackles during a Premier League season. The closest anyone has ever got is 145. So he's 30 above the next record below him. And I just think it was an absolutely dominant display from him that year. He was so important to Leicester City winning the title and it rightly earned him the big money move, which had a massive knock-on effect on Leicester City as a team as well. So in terms of individual performances, probably a little bit of an unsung hero. Didn't score a shed load of goals, but N'Golo Kante was superb that season, I think. Okay, I'll go for the opposite then. I'll go for the players that have scored a shed load of goals just to kind of contrast Jim's uh, unsung hero opinion of N'Golo Conte. I've got two honourable mentions. I I thought of three players and they're all relatively recent seasons. And the the honourable mentions go to Gareth Bale, 2012-2013. He basically carried Spurs in that season. I mean, it was one of the best examples of a player on fire that I've seen in terms of a great individual season. Uh, It was Tottenham's record points tally up till that point in time that season. They finished fifth in the Premier League. He basically won Spurs games on his own just through great goals. And it got him a move to Real Madrid, 21 goals, nine assists in the Premier League, 12-13 season. My other honourable mention was Frank Lampard in 09-10. Uh, Chelsea actually did League and Cup double that season under Ancelotti, which is the only season they've ever done that in their history to this day. 22 goals from midfield and 14 assists. Um, And he was just a contributor in a team that scored so many goals. I think up till that point, 103 goals Chelsea scored was the most by any team in the Premier League era. And they scored seven goals in four or more league games. I think they beat Stoke, Wigan, Sunderland and Aston Villa all by seven goals and uh, he scored four in that victory over Aston Villa. So to score four goals in one game is an achievement. So Frank Lampard is a is a close runner-up to my eventual winner of uh, the best individual season in the Premier League era. It goes to, surprise, surprise, Cristiano Ronaldo in 2007-2008. And I remember watching him this season and just sort of jaw hitting the floor at how good this guy got in in the space that he was at Manchester United from sort of 2003 to 2009. He truly did develop into the best player in the world. He won his first Ballon d'Or this season. He scored 42 goals in all competitions, including 31 in the Premier League, which of course they won, and 11 in the Champions League, which they also won. Um, Eight Premier League doubles and one hat-trick, 67% of goals inside the box, and a massive 33% of his goals outside of the box. A third of goals outside of the box. Just have a think about that. That's unbelievable. Over 100 shots that season. Frank Lampard, the only player to have more. Scored one of the best Champions League goals of the modern era against Porto from about 4,000 yards out. And then he scored that ridiculous free kick against Portsmouth, which I seem to be haunted by every time there's a Ronaldo highlights reel. (laughs) Scored in the Champions League final against Chelsea as well. Just an unbelievable season. So Ronaldo 07-08 for me. Um, is the best individual season that a Premier League player's ever had. I was going to go for Ronaldo. And then what put me off about Ronaldo was the fact that he went on to be a better player. So I think when he left the Premier League, that's when he reached his peak. So it kind of put me off giving him the uh, the unsung hero, or giving, giving him the kind of best individual performance award. But he was a beast that season. You're 100% right. I know you say as well that it's hard to give it to players who are also in 
a great team and Ronaldo was in a great team. This Manchester United team should have won the treble by all accounts. They didn't in the end, but he was by far the best player in that team in a team which had prime Wayne Rooney, a brilliant Carlos Tevez, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs was still knocking around, two quality centre-halves in Vidic and Ferdinand and Ronaldo was miles the best player in that team in my opinion. So that's why he gets it for me. Um, I... You know what? It's hard to it's hard to disagree with uh, with Ronaldo, um, especially with with that being the last time a player based in England has won the Ballon d'Or in that season that the Niles just uh, highlighted. Um, but the one it was between two for me, and one one was one was that Ronaldo that the Niles just alluded to. Um, but the other one is something that might annoy Niall if uh, if that uh, reviews anything to go by. It's a uh, Luis Suarez's season for Liverpool in 2013-2014 where they almost won the won the league obviously um but he was he was unplayable that season in terms of as an out and out striker it was him and Daniel Sturridge all, all of a sudden became this most feared strike force one of them one of the most feared strike forces in, in Premier League history to be honest um Suarez he got 31 goals in 33 games and he got 12 assists which was the second most in the Premier League uh, at the time so in 33 games he got 43 goal involvements which is absolutely insane um as well we talk about um that man united side being being amazing that ronaldo played in um I'd question was the was the liverpool side as good as that I'm not sure. I mean, it was a good side. It had Gerard, it had, you know, a prime Daniel Sturridge when he was very, very good, and it had Suarez. But other than that, I'm not really sure it was a top, top side. So for Suarez to to pull up the the season he had and put those numbers in um, was was fantastic. I just I always remember him playing against Norwich that season, and every time Suarez played against Norwich, he would score a hat trick, and I kind of felt sorry for Norwich having to to try and mark him every week because he used to score some ridiculous goals against them. Um, and I think as well it was that season where um, Suarez scored one of the most, for me, underrated goals of, it's sort of a forgotten goal, um, where a huge long ball went up the up the field to him against Newcastle and he ran in behind Colaccini as it dropped out of the air. And there was, Colaccini was on his shoulder, like literally touched tight to him. And Suarez managed to, arch his body back, kill it on the chest, and with his first touch with his foot, took it round Tim Krull and put it into the back of the net at Anfield. And it was the most unreal finish you've you've seen. You could try that a hundred times, an elite striker could, could try that a hundred times and it wouldn't. It just wouldn't work. Maybe one out of a hundred times, but it just proved for me that how, how good he was. Um, and then obviously when Liverpool didn't win the league, he, he moved on to Barcelona. Um, and Liverpool went went you know, when it took them five years to get back to wherever they, wherever they, well, close to where they were. So, for me, that Suarez thirteen fourteen season was absolutely amazing. So, probably go for him. Uh, let's do the top four predictions very quickly. Let's rattle through it before we get to a break. So, next season's top four, as Ollie was requesting, I think we're probably going to agree on quite a few of these. So, City and Liverpool 
will both be up there. And I think it's going to be a hell of a ding-dong for next season. For me, I think Chelsea are going to recruit well in the summer. They're being linked with the right players at the moment. They're certainly going to spend some money. So it's really up to Lampard to show what he can do. And I think they'll be there or thereabouts in the top four. So that leaves one place up for grabs. I don't think it's going to be Leicester or Wolves. Maybe, possibly Arsenal with Anteta. But I think for me... I'm going to go Manchester United. are going to be back in the top four next season. I think Bruno Fernandes has turned into a great acquisition. He's kind of turned the club around. If Pogba's back fit and playing as well, he'll be a great addition to the team. And again, they're making the right noises in terms of recruitment. If they can get a centre-back and potentially get a striker that's going to pluck them 20 goals a season, I think City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United could be the top four next season. Yeah, I mean, I think United have got a good chance. I'm not sure about Chelsea, you know. I still think they need to think about who they're going to bring in because they've got a couple of players out of contract in the summer. Um, And it looks almost certain that Willian and a couple of other players are going to move on. So I'm not not 100% about Chelsea finishing in the top four. Um, obviously, they've got Hakim Ziyech coming in, who who should be a good addition for them. But I still think they need uh, another striker to kind of provide good foil for Tammy Abraham, who seems to be getting injured a little bit more than Frank Lampard would expect. It's likely Giroud would probably move on as well. So I think depending on what striker Chelsea bring in, it will determine how well they, they go next season. Um, if they bring in Aubameyang from Arsenal... That might dent Arsenal's hopes because I think Arteta is is slowly building something there. They've got a good crop of youngsters at Arsenal. For some reason, my mind is swaying towards Arsenal. I think if they can make a couple of good signings, they've been linked with Upamecano and a couple of other players as well around Europe. I think if they make some decent, astute signings, then they could have a good chance. But I think Manchester United is probably the best bet in terms of putting your money where your mouth is at the moment. If they can hold on to Pogba and get Pogba and Fernandes playing together... If they can bring in a decent striker, I know there's rumours recently suggesting that they're linked with Harry Kane, but if they can bring in another uh, number nine and, and they get Rashford fully fit firing off the left, then, I mean, they could be they could be a dangerous force. I still think in defence, Manchester United probably need a little bit more assurance. I think Maguire's obviously clearly their best defender, but I think they need a, a couple of backup players. I mean, Bailly's always injured. Um, Lindelof isn't quite as good as perhaps he, he could be. Uh, so I think maybe they can make a couple of signings at the back. But certainly if they get a good striker in, then they've got a decent chance. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with um, with Man United. I think they they don't have much to sort out to be um, better than the, the, their, can, their rivals for that position. I think Liverpool and, and City obviously pick themselves. I think they'll be they'll be one and two again. Um, I think... I think um, I think Chelsea will be in there. I think Man United will be in there in in the top four. I think if you look at Spurs, they're just in. They've got a lot to sort out. They've got a lot of settling in to do under Mourinho. They've got a, a, a big transfer window coming up where they might see quite a bit of quite a bit of movement. Um, and as well, if you look at um, if you look at Arsenal as well, I think they they're they're in a similar situation. They've got new players. They need. They've got Aubameyang's future to sort out. Lacazette looks like he might be leaving. If you take them two out, they've not got a, a senior striker. They've only relying on Martinelli and Eddie and Ketia, who are very, very, very young. So there's probably a lot of movement there. Um, they need to sort out the defence, which they haven't sorted out for about 15 years now. Um, they need a, quite a lot to, to challenge, even though I think Arteta is the manager to get them playing well. I just think two se- uh, next season's a little bit too soon for them. Um, so if you look at who's the, the best equipped, 
all of a sudden, I mean, we've been talking about Man United needing an overhaul for the last uh, couple of years now. They've now got enough in their in their ranks, in my opinion, to be better positioned than Spurs and Arsenal to to claim a top four a top four spot. And I think with Leicester this season going to qualify for the Champions League, it looks like. I think Leicester will have so much on their plate next year that they won't quite hit the heights mm. of what they have this season. And I don't think they'll... Uh, I think they'll be the ones who get squeezed out because they're trying to get that balance of, of playing twice a week or however long it... However quickly you have to play to, to cram the season in next year, depending on when this virus just goes away, basically. So, um, for me, it'd be Man City, uh, Liverpool, Man United and Chelsea. Right, we're going to take a quick break from our AQA podcast. We're answering your questions, which you can get in via our social media. We'll be back in a minute. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily. It is the end of the week, so it's our AQA episode. All questions answered. Whatever question you want to put to us, you can do via the Sports Social social media accounts on Twitter, on Facebook or on Instagram. And we're going to kick off with another question. You've got this one, Niall. Yeah, Sam's got in touch on Instagram. His question is about Everton. He's an Everton fan and he says, Everton are looking to move to a new stadium at Bramley Moor Dock in the city, leaving Goodison Park after over 175 years there. Most of us fans are really excited as the club have had plans to move in the past but they've always fallen through. But some fans aren't so happy and want to stay at Goodison. We've seen clubs like West Ham move and really struggle. Loads of them hate the London Stadium and wish they'd never moved. Wenger said not too long ago that Arsenal left their soul at Highbury. Do you think Everton leaving Goodison Park will be a good move for the club? Seeing as Sam mentioned West Ham United there, Jim, I think it's probably good if you kind of give your thoughts on Is there no West Ham's move from the bowling ground to the London Stadium a few years ago. Um, okay. <laughs> There's, um, I mean, Apparently it's a really not. difficult it situation a, it was a DM. what Everton are doing at the moment to the scenario <laughs> at West Ham. And I think, I mean, firstly, the London Stadium is not a football stadium. It's an athletic stadium, which doesn't really lend itself brilliantly to a match day experience. And that is one of the big problems with the move there. Whereas Everton are getting a specially built state-of-the-art football stadium, which no doubt will be an unrivaled match day experience, be one of the best in the UK at the moment. Um, I think that for West Ham as a club, the kind of negatives around the stadium have become a bit of a symbol of what has happened at the football club in the years since we've moved there, essentially. There was a bit of a trade-off at the time that the club was promising the move to the London Stadium would result in European football. It would result in the best team that any fans had seen playing for West Ham. And the actual reality of that, anyone who's seen West Ham play over the last couple of seasons will know is miles and miles and miles away from what was promised. So the fact that West Ham left their spiritual home, left Upton Park for a worse playing squad and a worse match day experience has become a real negative point of the board's reign at West Ham. If they've been pushing top six, if they've been playing amazing football, I think it would be a very different scenario at West Ham. And I think it 
it's probably similar at Arsenal as well. I think following the move over to the Emirates Stadium, Arsenal probably disappointed their fans in terms of what they would have expected that team to achieve because there was a lack of investment in the playing staff because the club were very frugal in terms of budgeting for the new stadium. So that kind of lack of success manifested itself in people not liking the brand new stadium. For Everton, it's a very different scenario. They've clearly got investors who want to build something special in Liverpool. They've got the right manager in place already. The players they're being linked with in terms of this coming transfer window are a level above what we've seen going to Everton Football Club before. So I think it's going to be all about whether they can hit the ground running. No one likes to leave their spiritual home. No one likes to leave their old stadiums. But if the future looks brighter in the new places, I think teams can very quickly feel at home in those stadiums. And I think that should happen for Everton. I think that's where you hit the nail on the head, Jim. You say West Ham moved to the London Stadium and it's not a football stadium. And I don't think any stadium that's built now as a new ground is ever built solely with the purpose of being a football stadium. You look at Spurs' new ground. Okay, it's an amazing arena for football, but it's also built with concerts in mind, much like the Emirates was. It's also been built with the ability to stage NFL in mind. So these stadiums are being built with commercial aspects in mind, which you can't blame the clubs for doing. And, you know, Everton, when they build Bramley Moor Dock, will be used as a venue to, to host gigs and to host other sporting events perhaps as well. Whereas the stadiums that we're in now, in terms of the mm. likes of Goodison Park, that was purely built as a football stadium 175 years ago. So you just know that the new stadiums that are built aren't going to have the same character because obviously time has kind of made Goodison Park into the place it is. I, I love Goodison Park. It's probably close to being my favourite Premier League ground, if not my favourite, because it has got the touch of the old school about it. But then again, it's been modernised slightly on the outside. It just feels like an authentic football experience, um, completely different to that of Arsenal. Uh, and I haven't been to the new Spurs stadium, so I don't know. But certainly, I feel as a Portsmouth fan, we've got a very similar situation with Fratton Park. We kind of got a few fans at Pompey who want to move to a new ground. And there's been promises over the years that a new ground would be the right thing for the club. And that's fallen through. And there's other fans like me who are desperate to stay at Fratton Park and regenerate. Because Fratton Park to us, I think it's a massive asset to the club. Being a pokey old stadium, fans close to the pitch. It's a unique atmosphere. It's a touch of the old school. And actually, in time, when everyone's moving to new stadiums, that touch of the old school might actually become an advantage to the club. And uh, I do fear about leaving the soul, as Wenger said about Highbury, if we leave Fratton Park. So I think that that is a a really interesting debate. And I think the thing is, Marley, it's always going to split fans, isn't it? 50-50. I mean, you're always going to get some fans that want a new shiny stadium and a better experience and other fans that kind of stick to what they know. Yeah, I mean... it's like you say, I mean, there's two types of fans, isn't there? There's the, the ones that love the history and the tradition and there's the ones that that see the future and, and get excited for it in terms of, you know, how, how big can our stadium be? How good, how many fans can we get into it and grow the club that way kind of thing? But going back to uh, going back to Everton, I think um, you, can't t- you can't say whether it's going to be a good move in terms of, success however it is a good move in terms of trying to make your club a bit bigger because the one thing if if you're attracting players to the club for example um 
as an Everton fan, if you're going to fight with Liverpool for a player, for example, and Liverpool can throw Anfield at a potential a potential new player and say, look, you know Anfield, you, you know what it's all about, you know about the atmosphere and what have you. Uh, Everton have to have something to, to combat that with and say, look, we've got this brand new stadium and we've got this... We've got Carlo Ancelotti as manager, and we've got a, a billionaire owner who, who likes to throw money at players, and we can pay you as much as them over the over the over the park. And we've got this we've got this new stadium, which is a, a, a real pulling point for for new players. But there seems to be this thing about Everton of of them they're determined to try and take their chance of of becoming um, a a new type of club, a, a bigger club who who fights with the, the top six kind of thing. They've got the manager in place. They've got the owner in place in terms of how much money he likes to spend. Um, probably the weakest part of the club in terms of being a big, big club is the, um, well, other than the on-pitch performance, is probably the uh, the stadium. So they're getting, they're getting that so, uh, sorted. And I think that's one of the, uh, the, the next things now. So all they've got to look for from now on is matching the performances on the pitch with with where they want to be off the pitch so Bramley Dock might be a good thing hopefully it can be for them because you know they're they're a good fan base Everton um they've got a lot of things in place they just need to to kick on now and and stop throwing money at things which which don't work right let's have another question Marley you've got the next one yeah I do it's uh, it's an interesting one this it's coming from uh, from Brendan and he says, if you could have the career of any footballer, who would you go for? Not necessarily the ability, but the clubs they played for. So we'll start with Niall. Go on, go on, Niall. Give us a, give us a name. I'm gonna go with a classic selection that everyone my age uh, wanted to be growing up. David Beckham. Why not? Why would you not want to be Bex? Um, he was the first real superstar footballer I can remember growing up um, just the star of the England team the most probably the most famous footballer that there's ever been from England I would argue uh, I think that's that's definitely a an argument to be had Manchester United um, from 92 to 2003 um, with a, a year's or a couple of months loan spell at Preston North End in 1994-95 so the glamorous Preston sits amongst the likes of Manchester United, Real Madrid, LA Galaxy, a couple of loan spells at Milan which was quite nice take a quick break from LA, let's go to Milan instead and then to finish your career at PSG, Mm. getting paid good money playing with players like Zlatan Ibrahimovic and whatnot. Um, I think that Bex has had a, a hell of a career also playing for England and now he owns Inter Miami as well so he gets to kind of live the life on the um, on the Caribbean coast of America uh, and have his own team now. So for me, I, I think I'll go for David Beckham. Um, just the, the calibre of clubs he's played for, it's a real mix as well. You've got the likes of United and then Preston North End in the EFL before La Liga with Real Madrid and the Galacticos playing with like Ronaldo and Luis Figo and Roberto Carlos. LA Galaxy, something a bit different, kind of raising the profile of soccer in America and then playing um, at AC Milan, another historic club, before finishing off at PSG, I think I'd rather have Bex's career than anyone else's. I think that's a great shout, but at the same time, David Beckham, for me, illustrates exactly the reason I would not want a Premier League footballer's career. And we kind of joke about Premier League footballers have it pretty good and earning loads of money and getting to play football for a living, but the scrutiny they are under and the criticism they get 
is off the page sometimes. And that is exactly the case with David Beckham. And you remember the effigies being burned. Was it after the 2002? 98 when he kicked out uh, uh, Diego Simeone, wasn't it? He kicked. Was it Simeone yeah. kicked out? He kicked out some Argentinian. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Simeone kicked him, didn't he? Yeah. But uh, the, 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 the he got off the back of that, I thought was absolutely ridiculous and that's why I wouldn't want to be a footballer in the Premier League era not that there's ever any chance of that but I'd go for George Best because I think it <laughs> came slightly before that scenario and obviously <laughs> we know what happened with George Best well I mean yeah, it's the career not the uh, life right we're talking about isn't it but I mean he was a proper rock and roll footballer and he got away with it as well he was driving fast cars around Manchester he was probably the greatest footballer in England at the time and he just lived a life as well and yeah you might want to maybe rein it in <laughs> a little bit compared to what George Best was up to at some sometimes but the fast cars the playboy models the huge amounts of money the being one of the greatest footballers I think that's a pretty good lifestyle for me a pretty good career bestie had I love that Jim's just picked the one that had the most women as the, <laughs> as the career he would like to have that's, uh, that's lovely I hope your wife listens to this podcast Jim um, moving on to on to, to my pick. Um, do you know, initially I was thinking about um, people that had moved around and, and had amazing spells at clubs. And originally I thought of um, Clarence Seedorf, who had a, a very varied career, obviously won four Champions Leagues, um, as many as, as anyone else. I think I don't think anyone's more, won more than four individually. Um, but obviously he played for Ajax, uh, Real Madrid, Sampdoria, Inter Milan, AC Milan and Botafogo in his in over in Brazil when he retired. But then I remembered about Alan Shearer, so I just went for Alan Shearer instead. <laughs> but that means you'd have to play for Southampton and Blackburn <laughs> before you eventually got to Newcastle. Surely you'd just be like the Longstaff brothers, where you just play for Newcastle the whole time. Yeah, but also Shearer had the career of becoming the the legend. And he got the... Like, I mean, Longstaff, obviously, if, if they're there all their career, it, it's a good career for somebody who supports a club. But... There's no guarantee of what they've done yet. So looking back at Shearer, obviously he 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 won the title. He won the Premier League title at, at Blackburn. Um, he scored a lot of goals for for Southampton, and then he spent uh, ten years plus at at Newcastle, and he got two hundred and sixty goals and all the rest of it and all the things that come with it, and then went on to. Right, I'm going to call an end to this now, Marley. I'm going to put a stop to you because I'm not having another <laughs> segment of the podcast, which is you just talking about Alan Shearer for 20 minutes. So I'm just going to close that off and finish the podcast with one final question, which is also Newcastle-based, unfortunately. And I thought we were going to get away with this show without asking you about the Newcastle takeover. But in the last minute, Mursad on Twitter got in touch and he said, Hi, guys, love the pod. Thanks, Mursad. He said, a question for Marley. What does he think of the potential Saudi takeover of Newcastle United? and would he be welcome to such investors looking at the city situation with the media so essentially I think is what he's saying how do you feel about the takeover but also how are you balancing that with the potential morals of the takeover slash sports washing well it's it's good that you've you've uh took notice of my burner account which is uh entitled Mirsad <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, looking at, I've been thinking about the takeover. Obviously, it, it's literally not until the not since the last couple of days I've I've actually took this seriously because obviously we've we've been 
so close at so many times to to getting rid of Mike Ashley and getting somebody else in, whether that be Amanda Staveley or uh, Peter Kenyon or Anton Deck or whoever was linked with the consortium proposal um, at, at, at that current moment. But it seems to be uh, a consortium of somewhere between um, the the PCP the PCP holdings with with Staveley and the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund. Um, working in in conjunction um and obviously as a fan as as a fan you're happy because obviously we've had um uh, 11 years of of Mike Ashley just running running the the club as a business and not as a as a, as an ambitious football club who wants to try and achieve success through the the stuff they do on the pitch um it's been used as a the you know, just an advertising arm for for Sports Direct, basically, um, mm. and that's that's obviously great to get rid of him. Um, I've been thinking about the the uh, the human rights issues of of Saudi Arabia and stuff, but I I just don't think even even if you don't agree with with what the people behind this this takeover have done, and obviously how can you with with the t- with the the stuff that's gone on in. Uh, in terms of the human rights things and what have you, what what can you do as a as a fan? You're not gonna you're not gonna stop supporting your club. You're not gonna stop supporting Newcastle because there's a few dodgy people behind behind the club. I mean, Mike Ashley was was well, okay. what, dodgy in terms of interrupt, But what would everything. it take you? What would it take for you to stop supporting the club? Who would like? Uh, obviously, there's certain standards. So who would have to take over the football club? For you to go right, they're not my team anymore. Probably Hitler. <laughs> I was thinking Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Well, thing is, I, I don't. I don't think when you support a club for your entire life, I don't yeah. think what can what can stop you. You can only fall out of love with the game as a whole. I think that's an unfair question, isn't it? Because to be honest, Marley was a Newcastle fan before the Saudis got involved, and mm. he will be a Newcastle fan after the Saudis leave if they do leave the club and if this takeover happens. And I think that's the thing. It's unfair to level this at fans. It's it's unfair to say to a Newcastle fan of 50 years, oh, you're going to stop supporting the club because of who's in charge. Well, well no, absolutely not. And the and, and it's not up to the fans to 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 have to kind of front up to this. It's up to the authorities and to the media yeah. to front yeah. up to this. It's up to the authorities to decide whether the owner is fit and proper, which we've had issues with for a number of years now in professional football and it's up to the media to be able to go right well he is the owner or they are the owners of Newcastle United Football Club and this is their track record this is their previous history and it allow people to make up their own minds don't try and convince and coerce the fans into making a decision that perhaps mm. they don't want to make because I don't well, think that's I don't think that's fair although I do think it's interesting from that point of view the amount of Newcastle United fans I've seen on platforms like Twitter whose avatars are now Saudi Arabia flags and there are a few of those and that is evidence of sports washing working yeah I do think I do think that that needs to be considered um, the human rights record can't be ignored I think these things do need to be considered by supporters but I just don't think that it's going to take that to stop them putting money into that football club the, the Geordies love that club too much I just I just can't see a world in which they go actually no you're alright I'm not going to St James's this weekend it's just never going to happen I'm sure we're going to be talking about Newcastle a lot more over the coming weeks so we'll let you have your say properly then Marley about who you want to come in and manage the players you want to come seeing are you going to be buying a messy 
shirt Rafa. with <laughs> black and white straight Rafa, right? We'll talk about that plenty more in the coming weeks. Make sure you subscribe <laughs> to this podcast so you don't miss any of that chat because we will be back on Monday with another show we'll cover off the latest news and everything that's happened over the last few days as well. But that's it for today. Marley, Niall, thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Don't forget to get your questions in for next week's AQA show. You can do that via The Sports Social on Facebook, on Twitter or on Instagram. And we'll see you then. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber Eats.